Don, I have a problem. I have an insatiable sweet tooth. Well, I would not want to be several different types of Pokemon in that case. <laughs> I love anything sugary and sweetie and desserts, and I have finally convinced the team to let me talk about the Pokemon that are most likely to be eaten if they were actually real. Other than Farfetch'd? Well, Farfetch'd is already eaten. That's true. <laughs> uh, no one talks about eating Swirlixes. Yeah, I mean, does what is the uh, does the game even say that? I mean, they're sugary, right? Is it, the game says they're Swirlix is basically assume? just sugar. Yeah, right. It's like a it's meant to be like confectionery little confection thing. Yeah, and and like milkery is like milk. It's like anthropomorphic milk. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna talk about some desserts, some sweet mons, and some fun some fun dessert history. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. How much you know about uh, the roots of some of our more popular desserts, but I think we're going to have some fun in this episode. I used to watch the Food Channel quite often uh, to go to sleep too, so I think I like hope, like hope we'll see if I picked anything up about desserts from there. I feel like that was everyone's go-to in college of just like white noise. Oh, this was like oh, dude, this was like middle school. Oh, okay. You know, I, I started my Food Channel like nighttime sleeping early. <laughs> We used to, in college, we used to do uh, apartment chopped competitions where each apartment had to buy one random ingredient for our little, like, four people, our four oh, apartments. Oh, that's a fun idea. And then we all had to make something, uh, and then we judged it all. We, we did a lot of, I mean, we did a lot of cooking, I did a lot of cooking. I've never been much on the baking and the dessert making. I do have a friend that makes an incredible crumb cake, though. You're more on the, what kind of meat can we have? Yeah, I'm good at cooking meat in a lot of different ways. I've just never, like, I do enjoy, like, I enjoy a good dessert. But I, I don't really have the biggest sweet tooth, I guess. But it's like when I do get, when I do have the option, like, I really tend to go for it. But it's like I never really have it around a whole lot, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you spend time with me, you'll eat some desserts. Yes, everyone. So welcome. We are Poka Science. Fisherman Don, cameraman Chris here. And we were going to get jumping right into our episode about desserts. Cue the music. All right, Don. We officially know it's a new year because we have our great arthropod panic of 2022. We already have one. It's the head of the curve this year. We have the uh, the Jaro spider expanding its territory in the eastern southeastern parts of the United States. And uh, tell me a little bit about this here spider. Actually, I'm looking at a picture. It looks really similar to like we have the the big like golden orb weavers. I think they're called in Florida. I think you guys have them too. They look very similar. They are. Oh, these ones are are big. How uh, big? How big? Like a child's hand big. Oh, eh, the golden orb weavers are pretty big. They might not be that big, but they're like they're also a very large spider. It says it can get to about three inches in length. Okay, that's a big feller. Yeah, and it's got big, long, yellow and black banded legs. And it looks it looks really spooky. I will give it that. Everyone's freaking out about it for two reasons, though. One reason you don't, though. Uh, <laughs> everyone's freaking out because it is a venomous spider, but its fangs can't hurt you. I see. Well, do you see um, I put the link in there of the golden silk orb weaver or whatever that we have? They do look. I wonder if they're in the same family. Oh, yeah, it's a little similar. It's got that yellow and black banding. Yeah, and they're they're pretty big. They're not as big as palm size, though. That yeah. seems advanced. So this one, they do make some spectacular webs. You'd have to you'd have to for being a spider of that size. 
The other reason that people are freaking out about them is they kind of fly. Or do they do the thing that like um, what's it called? Like this, this is different than like the ballooning that like baby spiders do, or is this just a yes? More... That's okay. that's them. They they basically make little parachutes out of webbing that they use to catch a sick breeze and they fly away. Okay. Um. Do these ones are they like do these ones do it extra well? Do the big ones do it? Uh, I I think it's something they mostly do when they're young. That's what I thought. Yeah, so there's um the ballooning is actually really interesting. I think there's spiders that have been reported like um so atmospheric balloons have occasionally collected ballooning spider samples at an altitude of five, uh, five kilometers high. Mm-hmm. And ships in the middle of the ocean have reported spider landings as well. Which that's something. I mean, that's that's why they are able to get it. So basically, uh, these spiders are native to Asia, and they first appeared in the U.S. in 2013 in Georgia. And they've been slowly spreading on their little web parachutes for the last almost decade at this point. Uh, which is pretty, like, that's a pretty impressive amount of ground to cover in, in 10 years for these for these spiders. Yeah, oh, for real. It's, I mean, so they're not really the most mobile, and from what it looks like, they're like a sedentary, they're, they're very much your classic, like, web having spider um so they're definitely not like a terrestrial one that might move extra but the ballooning really gives them some mobility when they're young yeah and then interestingly enough uh the university of georgia which they've been i guess the most familiar in the u.s at least with them at this point has shown that that even though they are non-native species they did not they've had not really a massive effect on the, the ecosystems like they didn't just come in and just like wreck uh everything as an invasive species right and that they actually have been helping a lot with uh, pest reduction and actually giving, providing a lot of foods for birds because they fly to the birds. Oh, that is very convenient for the birds. <laughs> uh, now the birds are, I guess the biggest effect is the birds are just getting lazy now because their food comes to them. But yeah, so you might see these spiders around if you live in the Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina regions. Uh, they look scary. They, other than you know, looking very creepy and maybe landing on you, uh, they should not hurt you. So you can be scared of their looks, but they will not do anything to you. Well, that's good. I'm sure that's a common. I mean, I'm, I'm very pro spider. I'm not pro like non-native, but it sounds like they're not having too uh, severe of an impact. And like you said, that sounds like they might be even helping some stuff out. That was my, my science news. We've got some, uh, some Pokemon news to hit up, Don. We do. So I know there's some TCG stuff as well right yes uh do you want me to hit that first yeah let's hit the tcg first i'll I'll do i just saw i just learned about the one thing today which i thought is kind of fun okay so tcg we have the next expansion astro radiance it is of note because it's getting the hisuimons into the tcg uh well some of them so it's going to be the starter the starter hisuis and then uh origin forms of dialga and palkia and i think that is due in may i want to say may the the typhlosion the color that that purple color really pops on the cards oh yeah i see that i like that a lot yeah it that one that the the typhlosion really looks looks sick i still am not crazy about the origin forms yeah they're um i I do have appreciated all the calyrex memes but i'm scared they might actually do that at some point and it gets to ride yeah i will so the um one thing about the Astral Radiance, I think, is that they are, uh, the Pokemon Center's doing the thing where it has an alternate Elite Trainer box that you can pre-order. Okay. 
Darkrai is the ETB mon, and the the Pokemon Center one is like a dark, dark, like a deep dark red and black color, and it looks really sick. Oh, that does sound really cool, actually. And then they also have what looks like three what they call are calling Radiant Pokemon, which is just a new way of getting the shiny Pokemon in it. But that's Greninja, Heatran, and Halucha. Okay. But yeah, that's coming. So if you're into TCG, get excited. We'll prop maybe we'll get TC- a Pokemon TCG live sometime soon. But apparently they got a lot of bugs to work out. Don, what uh, what news you got? Um, so I just learned about the Darkrai distribution, or not Darkrai. Um, well, yeah, Dar- RC Darkrai had yeah. R- I was yeah. Sorry. Um, I got confused on the old news. So yeah, RC's and Darkrai are being added to Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Yes. Um, but if I remember from what I read, you have to have a save file from Legends of Arceus. And someone said, "Do you have? Do you have to actually have beaten the game in Arceus, or do you just have to have a save file?" I for so you have. I think it's just a save file in Arceus. Okay, that might have been a meme then, because at first I was yeah. like, "Dang, they're really making you beat all of Arceus to get Arceus in that game," which is kind of sick. Yeah, um, I think that makes more sense. I think I, what I saw is that you have to have a save file from Arceus. You have to have beaten the Elite Four and have the National Dex in BDSP. I think that's fair. I think it's kind of exciting. It's kind of they, they since back in the day, all of the mythicals were like, or it was literally an event. You had to go somewhere to get them. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's. I mean, that you basically like once you have all those things, they give you the flute, and then you go to the the spear pillar. But in that same vein, uh, Darkrai also is is going to be much like Shaman. Shaman's the mystery gift thing. Um, you get a mystery gift that you have to claim between April 1st and April 30th. And then you have to have gone in the hall of fame, obtained the national decks and completed the Cresselia portion of the game to get dark ride. Okay. I need to, I neglected BDSP hard or after, um, cause then RCS came out and now Elden Ring came out. RCS really derailed my BDSP playthrough. And then Elden Ring derailed my RCS playthrough. Oh, Metroid Dread derailed my Arceus playthrough. I need something to get Metroid Dread. I'm, I've got a flight next month. I think I might pick up Metroid Dread for it. Depending, I mean, you can knock it out on, depending on how long your flights are. You can it's knock like it seven out. hours. Oh, you might be able to beat it. Perfect. I like it when a game's not, like, excessively long, though. It's kind of nice when a game has, like, a clear, do the stuff, and then, you, then it, like, the replayability becomes much more manageable. Yeah, no, it, it 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 was it was very fun. Now I'm back on now I'm back on RCS to get to get through the other bit of Pokemon news. Don, we got Pokemon Go. We have the the dancing bird Oricorio. Oh, I like Oricorio. It's unfortunately, sadly, region locked, depending on its colors. So we in the Americas get the pom pom, the yellow one. Not my favorite of the Oricorios. Yeah, I was disappointed. Electric flying is a cool typing, though. Does that have any competitive usage? From what I have seen, it's Oricorio is kind of disappointing. Okay. In in, uh, in the GBL battles, just not the right moves to, or not the right moves, and not impressive enough stats to make it relevant. Like it could probably be spicy in some degree, but not gonna, you know, not meta defining. Like I... Wal Walrein has completely shifted the meta. Really. Yes, like if you're battling an ultra league, you have to have a wall ride counter. It's that it's that prevalent. 
I will say like the main core. Basically, if you see a Walrein on the lead, you know there's a Trevenant in the back. If you see a Trevenant in the lead, you know there's a Walrein in the back. That is like the go-to core right now. Okay. What makes that such an oppressive core as someone that knows nothing about? Uh, just to, to cover your uh, weaknesses. So Walrein, the moves you get for Walrein are Icicle Spear and Earthquake. And so Earthquake has terrific coverage for like Galarian Stunfisk, any occasional right. Registeels or Fire Mons you see pop up. And then not a lot in the meta are resistant to ice. So Icicle Spear and Powder Snow are just like spam monsters. I see. And so he's got a ton of bulk and he can hit Grass Mons too that hit it back. So it's got terrific coverage as it is. So the only thing that's weak to it is, it's weak to is Fighting Mons. Like Machamp, Surfetched is popular, Blaziken has had some play. And then Obstagoon. And so you bring Trevenant in there to cover for the fighters. Uh, because right. the gra- Grass and Ghost, there's not a lot of Dark Mons. So, so does Obstagoon not run a Dark Coverage move? No, it has Knights. Obstagoon is, is basically like the best Dark Counter for Trevenant. Okay. Walrein also popped up because they the game wanted a counter to Galarian Stunfisk. Because that thing was everywhere. So. Right. I'm guessing the next big buff is going to be something to counter Walrein because it's stupid. So they, they tweaked the stats or something to make Walrein become a, such a, a new new threat? Or how did that happen? Uh, no, it was Community Day when it got Ice oh, oh, okay, and it got unique. I see. That's a really, that's a really cool way they can kind of tweak the balance. Yeah, because Icicle Spear basically became a uh, an ice version of Body Slam. I see. So it's the same damage and energy cost as Body Slam, and Powder Snow generates energy to get to it very, very fast. Uh, basically five seconds to get there. Uh, so it's very fast, very spammy, and pretty solid damage, especially with Stab. And not a lot of stuff resists it. Okay. But yeah, the communities with their with the special moves definitely spice things up. We just had the Sandshrew run. That's right, and I missed all of it, and I really was bummed. I was driving that day, and then I got home, and I was, like, heading to bed, or, like, heading to take a nap or doing something. Yeah. And a friend of mine sent me a picture of all of the sand shrews uh, she caught. Yeah. And I was like, dang, I forgot. Oh, so with that one, so the, the Kanto sand shrew get, got Night Slash, which, okay, fine. But the uh, the Alola one got Shadow Claw as a fast move. Ah. Um, which is going to be, I think, really solid for it, because... It's just a little extra coverage for, for if you're running. is Because uh, it used to get walled by, like, Jellicent. Right. Um, and so now it can actually, like, hit back a little bit. Okay, I see. I think that's about, uh, that's that's what I've got for uh, for the Pokemon Go news. There's the event, there is an event happening for Oricorio. Oh, and everybody's paying lots, loads and loads of money to get Rock Rough. Because it's locked behind a one-star raid. Oh, uh, everybody wants rock rough and it can only be raided i'll have to keep an eye out for them i've seen a few like new uh alolan raid mons going around i, I like that the alola mons are here last question though uh either quick um are there like um are there any regional exclusive mons that are like really really good uh so tropius is solid this is the first time tropius has ever been anything <laughs> other than terrible and i'm really i'm really proud of it i'm happy for it I used to run Tropius like exclusively in the Great League. Yeah, I uh, had to stop because of um, Walrein. Oh, really? 
Yeah, because uh, that just he just it's useless against it. Yeah, I see how that would be a problem. And then uh, Pachirisu is actually pretty solid as well. Okay. I think that's it for any region locked ones being meta relevant in any degree. Uh, Heracross, Heracross oh, okay. is, is pretty solid too. That's good. I, I like Heracross a lot. I sometimes forget that Heracross is technically region locked. Yeah, it's kind of like, I mean, it's it's like I forget about the region locked ones that I have here because I'm like, oh well, that's just where they are. I love watching uh, videos of people using like Carnivine in, in the leagues. Oh really? Um, it's not like you know you you have to be really skilled to use it, but it's just fun watching people lose to a Carnivine. Carnivine's a really cool Pokemon. Like it's weird. Um, I like it a lot though. I think it's a cool design. Yeah. Unrelated to anything actually competitively. Also, same with Tropius. Like. I remember finding that thing, and I thought it was going to be so good when I was a kid playing, like, Sapphire. I was like, this thing seems, like, really rare, and it's a dinosaur. Like, it's going to be so sick. Yeah. Like, oh, it's grass flying. That's cool. One of one of my uh, uh, friends went to Greece and caught, like, 10 Tropius and then traded them all to me. Oh, it's in Europe. That's where it is? Or, like, Mediterranean? Uh, Medi- or? It's in the Mediterranean, yeah. That's it's cool. North North Africa, Mediterranean. Interesting. And so it's actually actually I think jump bluff is a little bit better now that it has acrobatics. Right. But Tropius, both of them are still kind of really hard to use with wall Ryan around. Yeah, I'd imagine being 4x weak to ice, and if that's like the, the hotness one. Anyway, let's um yeah. let's let's keep it moving. I'm sorry for the such, <laughs> such a, a tangent there. I'll trim it down. Alright, so that's the Pokemon news. Don, let's jump into the topic. All right, Don, we've talked a lot of science on this show. I think that's the understatement of the year. Yeah, it's it's in the name. But we have an underappreciated application of science, and that is food prep, uh, especially baking. Absolutely. I mean, baking really kind of just boils down to chemistry. Yeah, no, you know, you're talking chemical reactions and how things interact. Like, there, food cooking, cooking and baking is a science... I'm not going to say unto itself because it's it's just science in general. Like um, you get the acids and basic or bases and how they all work together. It's all very very cool. And you know, baking can involve like precise measurements because you're really trying to get a specific interaction between ingredients. And it's like to a degree that like one off thing can just make can just ruin the dessert or ruin what you're trying to do, the bread or or whatever. Right. Humans have been baking for an exceptionally long time and by that we mean like mashing up grains and water and putting them on a hot rock to make what we would call i guess it's an air quotes bread yeah a flat bread i would assume yeah uh, you know <laughs> maybe a little bit of rise you know not maybe not put yeah. yeast in it but um baking as a whole got easier when uh, humans invented the oven which but to my surprise, uh, is a lot older than I would have guessed. Really? I I mean, I, I imagine it goes all... I mean, as far back as I can think of in terms of, like, human civilization, I'd imagine there was an oven. So, the oldest one to have been found is 6,500 years old, found in Croatia. That's cool. That's really cool, actually. But uh, one of the most prolific bakers in the ancient world were actually uh, was actually the Egyptians. I was saying, I believe that. I know there was quite a lot of, like... I think they've even found, like, uh, in, like, the tombs and stuff, like, dried out bread and whatnot. 
Yeah, the Egyptians made some fierce bread. I mean, they also were like some of the early, you know, um, iterations of, of alcohol, too. Yes, Be, uh, the beer there in Mesopotamia, I think beer was really big. Yes, um, just because of, you know, that, you know, bread, yeast, alcohol, grain and yeast, like it's all kind of plays together. I think I read once, or maybe they found some things, or at least they think that the Egyptian like beer was like super, super thick. Point was like almost like liquidy bread because mm-hmm. like there was like special straws they found that they think helped to like filter it. Yeah, but in baking, uh, one of the the key ingredients, especially when you get into the uh, desserts, is fat. Yeah, got your butter, you got your other things. Milk. Yep, milk is fat. There you go. Now, fat in baking does a lot of different things. And so obviously it adds richness and flavor because as much as people might not want to admit it, fat tastes good and it tastes good for a reason. It's because we need it in our diets. We look around today at like a lot of, you know, foods in the grocery store and around, and there is an overabundance of fat and that's definitely an issue, but that is a relatively recent development, you know? Oh, absolutely. Like, even like if you look at other animals right now, like fatty, fatty foods and stuff are normally the most sought after, like regardless yeah. of the species you look at. It's so calorically dense. We, we need, we need it to survive. And so our bodies like the way it tastes because it, it, it helped, it helped us survive. Now with food availability around the world, that's, or, I mean, in, at least in, in certain countries, that's, there's an overabundance of it and, you know, it's causing its own issues. It's also a cheap way to make food taste good now. Yes, I, I was going to say, you know, there's always the uh, uh, the saying or the people say that, you know, the food always tastes better in the restaurant. And odds are it's because they, they like caked it in butter, butter and salt. You, you, you add enough butter and salt to your food at home and it'll start tasting like the restaurants. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at like a lot of the processed frozen foods, they have sneaky amounts of fat because fat makes it taste good. Yeah. And then uh, and then on the contrary, you know, if they take fat out of it, that's why a lot of the fat free foods have high amounts of sugar, because if you're taking the fat out, you're taking a lot of the flavor out. So it, they add sugar in to compensate, make it make it nice and sweet. So you don't notice yeah. that the fat has been taken out. Now, when uh, back to back to baking, the other thing that the fat does is it adds moisture into baking. Yes. And so that's why if you think of like when you're baking something that's fat free, you have to really be conscious of it because without the fat, you can end up with something that's really, really dry. That's also how people can make like, you know, the different textures of cookies you get by adding different amounts of butter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's like that one image that goes around that has like the nine different cookies that all look different and it's, you know, too much, whatever, not enough or like margarine versus whatever. Yeah. And a lot of that is like, you know, messing around with the fats that go into it. One interesting thing that I found uh, that I found is that there, um, in Asian cultures there are steam baskets that are that can actually replicate the effect of baking, but it actually makes it so that less fat is needed in the food because of the moisture present in steam baking. That makes sense. It's like different types of smoking meat, like some fattier meat or whatever like that. You can't treat the same way. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was that was a neat little tidbit. Also, those steamed some a lot of those little steamed buns are phenomenal. Oh my god, yeah. Yes, they are. I'm glad I already ate dinner before we recorded. <laughs> I already had my dessert too. I, I prepped for this. I have a Reese's cup in the freezer. That's as fancy as my dessert's gonna be. Real quick, if any of you love Reese's, cu- Reese's cups or like Thin Mints or what any of that kind of stuff, pro tip, put them in the freezer. 
Oh yeah. Like always better in the freezer. I don't know. I will use. I will say, and I I was fortunate growing up. I had a, a relative that worked at a vending machine company, so I'd go visit them at work when I would go over to the visit where they lived, and uh, I'd get like some Reese's cups, like fresh from the factory. Oh, <laughs> so like they never like you know sometimes you get them in the store and you they spent some time on a truck and like maybe they got melted at one point. These had, yeah. had never gotten melted. They were like perfect. so crisp, like the edges were crisp. It's a different. It's a different. The freezing them gets them closer, to like that level of like crispiness almost. Yeah, I will say. So the best Reese's I've ever had was the deep fried Reese's at the North Carolina State Fair. Yeah, I mean that's that's cheating. I, it, I mean, yeah, it's it's fried dough around what is now melted chocolate and hot peanut butter. Yeah, but yes, put your Reese's in the freezer. You'll thank us later. The the other bit that I wanted to talk about with uh, desserts is. Obviously, sugar and candy. Now, as, as I talked about before, uh, sugar and candy is virtually everywhere nowadays. Uh, and it's also very, very cheap. That is That was not always the case. That is a relatively recent, uh, recent occurrence for human society. Uh, for a while, it was very hard and expensive to get sugar, get your hands on it. So candy, desserts, all those kinds of things were very posh and for like the, the rich members of society. I try to like, that's something I try to do sometimes, especially with like random foods like that, that are really easy to take for granted. It's all I catch myself. I'm like, wow. I was like, it kind of makes you feel good about yourself in a weird way. Cause you're like, this would have been unfathomable luxury like a couple hundred years ago. And you're like, like I'm, I'm an elite of society. Like ice cream. Yeah. The fact that we can like just walk, you know, to a store and just get like a tub of ice cream. When I eat chocolate, I feel like I'm a Roman emperor. <laughs> but, oh my god, I just love eating bars of chocolate. It's so good. Oh, yeah. It's like, especially when you get the really good chocolate. Mm-hmm. Man, I hope people brought their appetites for this episode. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, so, one of the, uh, the, the Industrial Revolution, as with a lot of things in the trajectory of human society, uh, introduced a lot of processes that mechanized, uh, that mechanized candy making, made it more widely available... The prevalence of sugar obviously helped, you know, kind of move all this around so that, you know, we have a lot access to a lot of candy uh, that we would not have had, say, even like 200 years ago. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, uh, one of the a bigger aspect of candy that I would not have thought of that would have helped its sales was uh, wax paper, because before wax paper, candy was just kind of out there, you know, like they just kind of left it left it out there and it was there with germs and dust and all that kind of grime got on it yeah oh yeah yeah some of the old some stuff of like you see about old candy seems not great well if you think about it too we're talking like 1900s this is like around times of polio and uh and the the flu and uh the flu epidemic like a lot of those things like that's that is not good if you're just leaving the food out there with all those pathogens in the air uh on top of everything else um so the wax paper you know individual wrappings Kind of, kind of helped with that. But speaking of polio, did you know that the board game Candyland was actually created for polio wards? Really? Uh, and and uh, I think it was an elementary school teacher created Candyland for children that were in polio wards. That's um sweet. And also like now I'm going to be sad when I play Candyland. Well, just think about all the joy it brought the kids. That's true. That's a good point. It's It was very positive. I, yeah, I would imagine that was, especially back then, that was probably... Incredible fun, you know. Yeah. Candylands. Did you ever play it where you put the candy on the game, and then it was like if you landed on the square, you got it. 
No, but that's a game changer. Oh, yeah, you got to play that way. That's the way to play. I used to play it like growing up with my younger sister, and it would get heated if someone got like the Snickers bar square. Well, because then you're not playing to win. You're playing for the individual candy. Yes, but also I think you have the best. You put the best candy at the end. Yeah. Well, um, also, man, if we were looking to sponsor an episode, this would have been it. We're just product name dropping all sorts of. Yeah. <laughs> but all right. Well, that's that's sort of the the quick and dirty uh, bits in the, in the topic I wanted to cover. Don, do you have anything to add about desserts? Um, not really. Other than just, well, I, you know, we'll we'll get to some of it later. Okay. Yeah, I figure we we we've a lot of the Pokemon we're going to talk about are. Sp- based on specific desserts, so we're going to hit you with a little bit more. So let's head on to the Pokemon. All right, so jumping into the Pokemon, Don, we're bringing back a podcast favorite, and that is Two Scoops. Vanilla and Vanillux, the the good old days of Two Scoops. I'm a little bit sad that Lucas isn't here because we're going to have a glass-shattering moment uh, in a second. Vanillite through Vanillux, obviously we're looking at frozen treats, like ice cream and ice cream is kind of a catch-all term uh but there's a lot of different things that kind of fall into it where you have things like custard which requires eggs to be made uh frozen yogurt which is uh involves either yogurt or kefir uh sorbet which is water and sherbet which is a combo of water and some cream and then obviously ice cream which is cream right so the glass shattering moment is that vanilla slash Vanillux is not ice cream. Oh, my life is a lie. I, I believe Vanillite is a sorbet. Let's hear your let's hear your reasoning. So sorbet is made with basic basically frozen water. Like think of like, you know, so you know, some kinds of popsicles, frozen ice, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh in the decks it says vanilla is formed from ice crystals and there is no mention of dairy. So it's basically, think of it like, did you ever do snow cream as a kid? Um, you're asking, I live in Florida. Oh, you're, <laughs> do you know what snow cream is? I'm imagining you like get ice cream and you make stuff. No, snow cream is when people, it is, snow. A, it is a Southern thing, but it's basically you go and you like scoop snow and you flavor it and you eat it. I did that with the side of my freezer, but it tasted like <laughs> not good. Yeah, that's not, not the same. It is not the same. Snow cream can be a little dicey because it, if you like, you get the stuff that's on the ground with it too, or if the plows come by and like turned it up. Yeah. Uh, so snow cream is, I, I do not partake in snow cream for that reason, but that's sort of the vibe I get with, with vanilla. But yes, you know, sorbet is, is basically, you know, frozen ice. And, and that's what we're looking at here. Now it's definitely vanilla flavored ice. But despite what it looks like, it I, I cannot call this thing ice cream anymore. It's a very sad day. That is sad. Sorbet, it, it is lower in fat because there's no cream in it. But that also means it tends to have higher sugar. Right. It also can have... Uh, sorbet you typically see a lot with mixed with like fruit juices and that kind of stuff. Now, what's interesting if you look at Vanillux, it's body temperature, for, according to the DEX, is about 27 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Which is actually very similar to soft serve ice cream. Huh. Is a sorbet colder because it's like an ice thing or is it warmer? Uh, I think I've been seeing like between 10 and 22 degrees. Okay. So he's kind of, let me show like other things. It, we're looking like a, a hodgepodge of different things. But I, I, f- I feel like we should talk a little bit about the, the, how science comes into play with how we're making ice cream or, or treats like this. 
Uh, cause I feel like it's something that, yeah. did you make ice cream in high school? Um, I, maybe even before high school, I remember doing it. I remember doing several, uh, ice cream type, you know, projects. So it's a, you know, the process you do is you put what the cream and the sugar in the bag and then you get the ice outside of it. Right. You need the salt at some point as well. Yes. And so you add in, uh, what, what's key in this process is salt. Uh, Don, do you remember why we use salt? Um, it lowers the freezing point, right? Yes. So the salt, it's the, it's the kind of the, you know, Wait, salt you is going to toy. It was like an, it was like a double layered hamster ball looking thing. You put your ice cream, cream ingredients in it. You're supposed to like then play soccer with it to make the ice cream. I, that sounds incredible. I've never it heard didn't of really that. work. Cause it was like a, if I remember right, though, it was like a hard plastic ball. Oh, so you could okay. like play with it really, but they're like, Oh, play with it. I bet that also made like getting the, the temperature hard, like the plastic. Yeah. But that's a great idea. Yeah, it seemed like a fun thing. I just I would imagine you need to play it in the right climate. Yeah, but the uh, so basically what the salt is doing is uh, it's creating an an uh, endothermic reaction and it's lowering the freezing point of the ice. So the ice that you see is going to start melting because the salt is making it melt, but it's actually making it colder, which is allowing the cream to freeze and and um, get that that texture that we that we love. And so it's uh, what you're trying to do is you're trying to freeze the water that's in the cream to kind of solidify it and make that kind of smooth fatty texture. And so those ice crystals, the smaller the ice crystals, the creamier your ice cream is going to be. Right. What can affect that the most is how fast or how fast the freezing process has taken. And so that's why if you've ever tried liquid nitrogen ice cream, it is the creamiest ice cream you've ever had. Isn't Dippin' Dots like liquid nitrogen? It, it might be, but that's... If you've ever had, like, fresh-made liquid nitrogen ice cream, it is extremely... There was a place back before I moved to North Carolina that basically when you ordered it, they would pour the cream and sugar into a bowl and then put the ingredients in it, basically make the ice cream in front of you. Oh, that's awesome. And, like, because it all happened so fast and the ingredients were so fresh, like they would make like a lavender ice cream that would just knock your socks off because it was so, you know, potent and fresh. It was wild. But yeah, so that is our, that's that's the, the groundbreaking moment for this episode is we have the sorbet Pokemon, not the ice cream Pokemon. We're moving on to our next, our next dessert, Don. We've already name dropped it, but we've got Swirlix. Let's do it. I like Swirlix. I think he's a fun dude. So Swirlix, it's in the name. It's the cotton candy Pokemon. Very popular carnivals, amusement parks. All that kind of stuff. We all wanted it as a kid. It never filled us up, but we loved eating. I'll give you a, a guess. What occupation did the creator of Cotton Candy have? It's going to be something weird. Or it's going to be like some sort of carny-based activity. <laughs> um, they either like ran the Tilt-A-Whirl or he like was a lawyer. A dentist. You know what? I'm not... I feel like I wasn't that off. <laughs> not no, lawyer dentist yeah tomato tomato I thought, I thought about dentist actually dentist did make sense he's giving you the candy so then get some cavities and come see him exactly uh so it was actually a, a duo the dentist william morrison and a confectioner john c wharton uh created the machine that was used to create cotton candy well, that's neat and essentially what cotton candy is is it's melted sugar and syrup spun around at very very fast speed that's then pushed through a screen Okay. And, and that screen kind of push the process of pushing it through the screen kind of gives it that fibery fibrous texture, which is why it gets the, the cotton candy name. Right. Makes sense. 
but it goes it has uh a, the other popular name for it is fairy floss if you've ever heard of that i think i have heard that name actually yeah, so, you know, Fairy Floss, obviously Swirlix is a fairy type, uh, you know, it makes sense. Interesting bit, though, so I said you you need to heat the sugar to kind of melt it. Right. Swirlix obviously learns both Sunny Day and Flamethrower. That's right, and it learns Belly Drum, which occasionally gets you. <laughs> which is what the, which is what the kids do when they want some cotton candy. I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, I did see that uh, Swirlix also eats, is basically straight sugar like it only eats sugar and it actually gets grumpy if it doesn't eat enough which you know same i feel that swirlix evolves into slurpuff which is the meringue pokemon and meringues are their own kind of thing there's no real connection between cotton candy and meringues meringues are made by whipping egg whites and sugar together so we get the sugar from swirlix and i think you mix it with what with whipped dream Yes, that sounds right. Which is a little disappointing because I feel like you could have done something with the eggs to really make, you know, that meringue aspect of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that could have been some sort of like, does it get soft boiled or anything? Does not. Neither of them get soft boiled. Okay. But one of the the interesting bits about it is that Slurpuff says it has tons of air in its fur. Unfortunately, it doesn't learn any flying type moves, which to me is a missed opportunity. But it has tons of air in its fur, which would make sense with that whipping motion. Your your basic with the whipping motion is targeting air in the process, and that's why it doubles in size. And, and so that you know that's what that's adding air into that process is kind of it's similar to uh, whipped cream, which we're going to talk about more in a second. But you're 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 adding that air into the process to kind of change its its form. Yes. Weird thing about Slurpuff. Wanted to get your thoughts on is it has a stupid good sense of smell. Obviously, desserts can't smell. They smell good, but they can't smell. So do you think there's like some kind of like dog thing that's happening here? Like is it some kind of candy dog? I'm trying to think, honestly. Because this was um, Kalos, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe like a poodle or something, right? Well, no, we had poodle, though. We already had a poodle. Well, it doesn't mean we can't have two poodles. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's like, maybe it's just because it smells really good. It likes to smell itself really. I don't know. I mean, the, are are pugs French? <sighs> they're maybe I thought they were like maybe are they like English or maybe that's just English bulldogs. Oh wait, well, it, so uh, pu- um, or there's a French bulldog. Yes, that's like the Frenchie. But like, cause with its tongue hanging out like that, that's kind of canine-y, canine-esque. I yeah. don't know. I feel like there's something they're trying to do something with dogs there. Um, it's just weird. Like, like it talks about how it like is used for medicinal purposes because of how good it smells. Yeah. So weird little, weird little side bit there, undessert related, but we're going to hit on the last on the last Pokemon we're going to talk about Don with the latest addition to the dessert mons, which is the cake boss itself. Alchemy. Let's hear about it. So Alchemy and, and Milkery is just milk. Milkery, Milsery. This is just milk. Yeah, okay. I was wondering if it was like a custard thing, but I guess it literally is just milk. It, it it just says milk molecules in its decks. Oh, that's its name is the milk molecule mon? Sorry, it's the cream Pokemon. Okay, that makes I feel like more sense. I guess I should be more specific. It is the, it, 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 it it's cream, it's not milk, it's cream. If you're wondering, cream is the fatty layer that separates from whole milk. Uh, it's basically a combo of water, milk, sugars, protein, and fat. Glorious, glorious fat that we talked about earlier. So a popular thing to do with cream is to whip it. And when you're whipping cream, (laughs) 
That was a good one. Thank you. Uh, when you're whipping cream, you're basically adding air inside of it. And that's how the cream doubles in size. But basically the way it works is as you whip it, whether you're doing it by hand or with a mixer, you're breaking apart the fat molecules and forcing them to rearrange. And when yeah. they do, they're globbing onto air bubbles and essentially trapping the air inside. Neat. And so that's, that's kind of how you get from that cream substance to what we know as whipped cream. Eventually, you know, whipped cream will stiffen up. You can spread it on cakes or cookies. It's delicious. Yeah, that's like how you make like your meringue. That's like the base for like a meringue, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then like you can get into a lot with like the amount you whip it, you know, it creates different textures or, you know, the ingredients in it. There's lots of things you can do. with. Alchemy's Dex actually states that when it evolved, its cells were shifted. So that kind of plays into that, you know, the idea that its cells were moving around to create something from this cream base that it was. And also, how do you evolve an alchemy in the game? Um, don't you need the other item? You need some item for it, right? So, so the item influences um, which color. Oh, that's right. No, I, I was thinking of. Uh, I'm sorry, my, my mind. Like, my, I know what alchemy is, but because we were talking about Slurpuff, I was thinking about aromatease for a second. That was oh, yeah. the other thing. Yeah. Um, no, I actually, I don't think I, I may not have evolved one actually. So you get it by spinning. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's that's actually awesome. I really like that. It's it's the much cooler version of the Inke evolution. Basically, you spin the left joy. You know, if you spin the left joystick, your character spins and strikes that pose. Yeah, that's how you evolve in Alchemy. The Freddie Mercury pose they do. Yes, we can't talk about Alchemy though, Don, without talking about the the G Max version. Big cake. Big big cake. Have you read the Dex entry for Big Cake? I have. I don't think I. Have, not off the top of my head, no. But I remember like a lot of the, the. They have like unique Dynamax entries, right? Yeah. Yes, they do. So the Dynamax entry for Alchemy says that it fires missiles that contain one hundred thousand kilocalories. That's a lot of calories. And for for people who may not know, kilocalories and calories, same same. Those are the same thing. It gets into, you know, different degrees of measurement, but kilo. So basically 100,000 calorie cream missiles are being fired from this giant cake. The, the Dex says that your head will swim, but you are physically going to be swimming because if you look at the amount of calories in like normal whipped cream and cream, we're talking close to 120 gallons of cream in one missile. That's crazy. Roughly, that would weigh about 980 pounds, which is about the weight of a, a motorcycle and its rider. Yeah, that's a lot. So that's a big, big cream missile. But if you think about Galar in the early, early years, Alchemy would have been a very, very important Pokemon because that is a lot of calories that you could come across relatively easily. You just get it to pop off one of those missiles into like a basin and you got what 120 gallons of cream. And yeah. calories to, to yeah to that eat. would feed the village. <laughs> so like that, alchemy I think is a very is an underappreciated one if we're talking about the evolution of Galar as a society. Um, yeah, it probably I, was like a cornerstone uh, fixture. And now I feel like now probably with like you know abundance of food, much like with sugar, uh, it's more maybe taken for granted. Yes. Although it does say that if if milkery shows up at your patisserie, uh, you will have good fortune. So they they do appreciate it, but I feel like it's not the same. Yeah, well, that's good. That's still appreciated, though. So this is this is you know get on the get on the alchemy the the love train. That's what we're here for. We we still appreciate vanilla and two scoops, 
But Alchemy's the real star here. Lucas is going to kill me. Yeah, he's going to be mad. <laughs> That's okay. He's not on this episode, but we'll all hear about it the next time he joins Yeah, us. and Alchemy's cool. I like it. Um, I like it. Decorate is a really cool move. I think it's balanced by Alchemy not being like... It's really like they really went into the support role. Decorate's crazy. Uh, I think it's got Sweet Veil. You can't put its partner to sleep either. That's pretty cool. I think Alchemy is a very well-designed support mon. Yes. Uh, Grimmsnarl is kind of broken. <laughs> Thunderwave is Thunderwave and is bad. I don't like it. Grimmsnarl is a little broken. Alchemy is bad. Like, it can do lots of cool stuff. You also have really good counters for it. It's a good balanced mon. Yeah. All right. Well, those are all the, the dessert mons that I wanted to talk about, Don. You want to head to the wrap-up? Let's wrap her up. All right, everyone. Thank you again for joining us on this wonderful journey through the land of desserts. I hope we didn't make you too hungry, but if you are hungry, eat your foods uh, responsibly. Uh, don't overindulge. Appreciate the the treats that you have, but there there is a limit that we sh- that we should enjoy some of these foods at. How can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat? <laughs> they, that's right. That's let those words echo in your head as you appreciate your pudding. No, just like with everything in life, you can have too much of, of a good thing. So make sure you, you appreciate the, the treats when you get them, but make sure you're getting all the other good foods in there, the vegetables and all that kind of stuff. On that, thank you again for joining us on this episode. Don, it's a very exciting time because it feels like our quadruplet? What's a what's a quad our quad what's a quad for a trio? Quattro. Oh. I guess, our quad <laughs> Our 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 four person team is 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 coming well, back I'm together. <laughs> I don't know. I have to look into this. We're coming back strong with Lucas coming back to the Americas. So it's an exciting time for the show. We're excited to have him back. That's right. That's right. So thank you all so much. Uh, we're excited for some for some upcoming episodes for you all to see. As always, uh, if you want to support the show. Uh, we have the link to the Patreon page, but uh, you can also uh, subscribe to the show or leave a review in your podcasting app of choice, share with a friend. Uh, all that helps us tremendously as we look to continue growing in this year of 2022, also known as the year of the Jaro Spider. But uh, on that, thank you all so much for joining and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.